Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Come on, girls. Let's go shopping. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. What are you looking at? Don't look at a boy jumping me. You're mad, you bastard. Far ram you, far ram you. Swear to Christ, Liz, you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to Whoop Whoop. G'day and welcome to The Curb. I'm Andrew Pierce, and this is a podcast that's all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. This podcast is proudly recorded on the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and I pay respects to their elders both past, present and emerging. Well, on this episode, look, it's probably one of the best interviews uh, that I've had the, the, the pleasure of uh, partaking in, um, because uh, mostly I, I tend to interview Australian guys, uh, or people rather, um, but every so often an international person drops in my lap and I'm able to have some time with them and talk to them. And uh, this year, that person is Jim Cummings. His film Thunder Road is easily one of the best films of the year, a powerful uh dark comedy, uh, pitch black in a lot of ways, but also very humanistic, uh, beautiful portrayal of this police officer who is just a little bit fractured. Um, The film opens with this searing 12-minute single take of him doing this, performing this eulogy, which is Jim Cummings himself, who is a writer, director, and actor. He's performing this eulogy at his mother's funeral. It is something you must see where the film goes from there is even more powerful i absolutely love this film i adore it i think it is is just a really really masterful piece of work i in the interview i i put jim cummings alongside steven soderbergh and kevin smith and i think that he well and truly with one film feature film under his belt has has deservedly earned that particular title Hopefully you understand why I say that in this particular interview as well. I think that there is a lot to gain from Jim Cummings and the way that he's pushed this film out and rolled it out around the world. There's a lot to learn from it from an independent film perspective. Uh, It's certainly unique, it's certainly interesting, and it's certainly um, a bit of a ground-shaking way of pushing out a film. I really like it. I like it a lot. I like Jim Cummings a lot. I love this film. I hope that you enjoy this interview, and most importantly, I hope you go out and see Thunder Road, because this is a really, really great film. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it at home, uh, and I can't wait to see it with the theatre as well. I'm certainly going to be going to see it again, because I think this is a fantastic piece of work, um, and Jim Cummings is a name that you're going to know more about in the future. Anyway, that's enough from me. You're going to hear more of me in a minute. 
as I talked to Jim. Um, and certainly, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Um, because it was the interview was recorded on my phone, um, I may sound a little bit louder than he does, um, but hopefully the equalizing of this particular interview uh, helps that out a little bit. Unfortunately, it's just the nature of doing... Um, interview sometimes i don't always get to record them on my computer or sometimes has to be on my phone so i do apologize for that if it sounds a little bit off but hopefully the content is still spot on anyway let's listen to the trailer be back with that interview honey honey i i'm really not going to be good at this kind of stuff yeah you want me to leave the light on in the hallway for you it's fine all right, I'm going to bed, honey. Good night, I love you. Yeah, it's fine. I don't care. It's fine, I won't work here anyway. You want me to talk? Yeah, I'll talk. You don't want me to talk, I got dirt on all of y'all. I'll start with myself. My wife left me a year and a half ago. There, laugh it up. I slept in my car. Three weeks. Jerry saw it. Isn't that right, Jerry? Yeah, I brought you breakfast. Thank you so much for doing that, Jerry. That meant a lot back then. You're drunk. I'm not drunk. I'm angry. I realize that. I'll call. No, I'll calm down. I lost my daughter today. For what? So I could impress you. I gave up my family. And the rest of it. What? You want my pants too? Fine. You can keep them. I don't care. You can't hurt me. You think you're hurting me? I found out she lost her boyfriend in Vietnam. I never asked her about it. What? I never made the time. I was selfish. This is what you get. Hey Jim. Ah, oh, good. Thanks. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Yeah, you're you're working hard. You're really pushing the film. It's it's fantastic. I I want to start off by saying I absolutely loved it, uh, and can't wait to see it again. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Thanks so much, man. That means a lot. Yeah. Uh, first of all, like you, the the way that you're getting this film out to people is really really interesting and. Um, you feel like to me it seems like you're using non-traditional methods to to really uh, subvert the system in a way to to get people to know about Thunder Road. So, how did you go about that, and and where did that strategy come up? Yeah, so I was a producer for seven years before making stuff. I was able to see the inside out how many other films were getting. Um, I don't know. I, I just just to identify the predatory practices of independent feature film distribution or uh, financing. So I don't know. I feel like I had been working on so many movies where you would sell the global rights to uh, a company that then would bury the movie, but they'd release 25 movies that year, and it was difficult to get anybody to see the film that you worked so hard on. And so. 
This one, we went to big film festivals, we got into Cannes, and we won at South by Southwest, and the short film had won the grand jury at Sundance, and we still couldn't get somebody to give us an offer that was less than half of what the budget of the movie was. And so we took the risk of saying, okay, why don't we just try it ourselves? Like, instead of going to these, I guess, established organizations whose job it is to get movies out there, like, well, I have, a, I have a month to be able to devote to just calling people and booking theaters in the United States. Why don't just try that? And so that's what we did. We, like, we won at South by Southwest. South by Southwest is close with Alamo Drafthouse Cinemas in the United States. And so we just started calling Alamo Drafthouse Cinemas. There's about 40 of them in the U.S. And some of the bookers or some of the managers of the theaters said, yeah, oh, I didn't heard about that movie. Yeah, we'll play that some. And we were just kind of lucky. And then that became our U.S. theatrical release. We applied for grants through Sundance Creative Distribution Fellowship, and they gave us some money to do some creative uh, distribution practices. We like followed in the footsteps of movies like Columbus and The First Girl I Loved, and all of the Cassavetes films. And I don't know. I, I think I think we had a good idea uh, to do it this way, and we're kind of betting that all of the systems in place to help out independent filmmakers in the U.S. are kind of broken. And so we just tried it. We had the time, and I wanted to make sure that we could get people to see it. And so I just, we, we put it up, we uploaded it to a platform called Quiver Digital, which gets it onto iTunes and Amazon in the United States and pitched to Netflix, and we cut a deal to Amazon out here. And, yeah, we just started calling people. We went to Cannes with the film, and we met with a bunch of distributors, and shout to Rihanna, they were kind enough to take us in Australia. And we just kind of did all of this from laptops in our little office in Atwater Village, California, and it worked out. And I think I'm probably going to keep making movies this way because it's no different from what anybody else is doing, you know? I feel like instead of imagining that this anonymous entity that is Hollywood is going to come along and do all the heavy lifting for you, you just kind of have to do it yourself. And mm-hmm. so I've been saying that, and way possible with production, and this just became another extension of that. Like, all right, well, now we have to figure out how to distribute the film. <laughs> but it was fine. It was like, we put in we put in more work than, than most of the domestic distributors would do, and we, we already knew about, uh, you know, like, posting the trailer to Reddit. I was already a Redditor for six years, and luckily that community endorsed the film as much as they did. Uh, I have a small following on Twitter that's very supportive, and yeah, man, I don't know. I, I At that point, we realized that nobody was going to help us, so we kind of had to do it ourselves. And it's also just exemplary of what's going on in the States, of people are transitioning from doing what, what used to be commonplace of supporting filmmakers like Tarantino and keeping the, the culture of American independent film alive. And instead, in, it's this property ownership market and then, and, then, and then production market. So, like, A24 isn't acquiring very many films anymore. They're producing them. Mm. Like, they, they, they realize that they're tastemakers. And so, I don't know. I, I feel like we just kind of arrived at the right moment and we had seen two or three other people do it successfully. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's just try it ourselves. And it worked out. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a clear appetite for, for this kind of film, but... Unfortunately, the way the the box office works, you know, if getting onto screens and all that kind of stuff, it's it's difficult. And and certainly from an Australian perspective, like I'd I'd heard about your film for a, well a long time, and and it always takes ages for 
for independent films to come to Australia if they ever do come to Australia. So I was uh, certainly thrilled when it, it uh, was announced that it's coming here because, you know, international distribution in itself is a whole different beast as well. So um, it's great to see that you got that kind of uh, that distribution over here too. And, and certainly I'm sure that Australian audiences will enjoy it a lot. Uh, it's that kind of film that it's hard to deny how good it is. Like any, you sit anybody down in front of it, they'll love it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much, man. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, we're, we're first off very lucky to be coming out in Australia. But also, like, it, it comes from this great tradition of, I mean, I grew up watching Chris Lilly and Summer High High and this kind of, like, comedy drama and performance piece, and that was kind of integral in the DNA of the project. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm exhilarated to be, to be in, in Australia. Yeah. Well, there's a, it's interesting you mentioned um, Chris Lilly, because there's a, when I was watching Thunder Road, I got this this feeling there was like two films that came to mind that it's thematically um not thematically but like tonally similar to which is uh fargo and muriel's wedding and just the 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 combination of the you know there's darkness there but then it in the same fraction of, of it being really dark there's a you know outrageous laughter and, and comedy uh there so I, I applaud that. It's got to be really difficult to, to, you know, balance that line of comedy and drama. How, how do you stretch your muscles to be able to get that working as a writer and then translate it as an actor and a director as well? Because you're wearing all three hats. Yeah, and an editor. And yeah. And all the other <laughs> stupid things I had to do for this goddamn movie. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I don't know, man. I, it was just working. Like, well, on set, we kept calling it Manchester by the Sea as a comedy. Yeah. And it was like, we, we were doing this thing that was like, we wanted to make something that was very touching and human about mortality and life and parenthood and legacy and America and growing up and all of that, all of that stuff that I know really affects people. But then you kind of have to do it with comedy as well. If you, if you can make people laugh, all of that other stuff becomes less preachy and it's more uh, an experience of watching it. it. You know, doubling that down with the long takes, you feel present inside of the, the moments in a way that conventional editing doesn't allow you to feel that way. And so, I don't know, I, I felt like just by acting it out loud, it was working. It was like you can do something that's equally very funny uh, and and poignant. And I don't know, that's some of my favorite artwork. It's something that, like, like Pixar movies, Inside Out is like one of my favorites. And, like, in one second you're laughing and then you're bawling your eyes out and you're back to laughing. It's like it's, it's activating every lobe of the brain in a way that's a deeply satisfying experience. And, I don't know, I just love that kind of, kind of filmmaking. Um, yeah, and, and then just turning that into performance is all performance. It's like uh, my, my directing or my acting is just self-directing. It's like I, I had written it standing up, acting it out loud. That became the script. And so I was already a thousand times off I knew it back to front, and I knew all the other characters' lines back to front and how it had to be delivered. So it was, like, very easy to kind of execute. There's a thousand, like, long takes with huge orchestrations, this, like, ballet that we had to do a thousand times over for each of these long takes. But um, everybody was so rehearsed for it. They knew what the movie was going to be, and I recorded it as a podcast beforehand, and I sent that out to all the cast and crew so everybody's at least able to hear the movie before... Uh, we start shooting, and that's that's usually helpful. And just by hearing it, like uh, instead of reading the script, English and language is so complex 
I say it's easy to misinterpret a text message. You know, don't let somebody misinterpret your script. So I record all of them and send them to people. And it was just working in audio form. So I think I think we just kind of knew that that was going to be a good blueprint for for where the audience is going to be at every every bump in the roller coaster. Yeah, it sounds like I'm I'm in awe of the way that you've created this film because it's it's not like anything that I've really uh, seen in the way that it's been made or been promoted or anything like that in, in recent years. You're really forging an interesting new kind of uh, way of, of making these films and, and things like that. It's really exciting. Um, but I wonder, when you're wearing all of these hats, how do you stay sane? <laughs> how do you manage to, uh, to not lose yourself amongst everything? Yeah, don't ask me that one. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm bad at that. I'm bad at the work-life balance. I, I was like staying up until four in the morning doing VFX. I didn't know After Effects, but there were shots in the movie where we had to like comp out a boom pole that came into the frame. There's moments are just like cleanup stuff where like the movie's scheduled to premiere at South by Southwest in like a week and a half. And I'm like, cool, now I have to learn After Effects. We didn't have any money. It's like, I, okay, cool. That, that's just another thing that I'm going to have to do. Um, but no, it's incredibly fulfilling and it's incredibly impressive to most people. Like now I just feel like the head of a studio where, like, we shot two other features that my buddy has directed in August in Atlanta. We're shooting another movie uh, this August, and we just wrapped my new werewolf movie, my first studio movie, uh, in March. And it's like, I, I feel like John Lasseter said that in order to make Toy Story 2, he had to sleep under his desk because halfway through production, he realized the movie wasn't going to be any good. And he's like, well, we can't have that happen. I'm just going to move into my office. And he said, that's how you make history. It's like, you do the thing that you know you have to do, in order to make the thing any good. And that was just from necessity for us at that time. But now, now I feel like I can do anything. It's a, it's a really fulfilling experience. It's become my life, is making movies. But that's how I always wanted it to be. Nobody ever took it seriously before, and now, now I can. It's a, it's a really rewarding endeavor if you pursue it. Yeah, well, certainly it's something I'm, you know, selfishly I'm excited about what you've got coming up and, and where you're going to push your voice and things like that because... You know, I love cinema, and that's why I write and talk about films and stuff like that. So, you know, selfishly, as I saying, it's do more of that because it uh, it it makes me happy. So that's good. If you you can make one guy in Australia very happy by doing that. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm one of the other things which I'm I'm fascinated by with uh, Thunder Road is that you know I've been to America a few times and I I really love the place, but. We so rarely see stories about middle America or, um, I guess, you know, uh, sorts of Americans that maybe the news might not present them as, as uh, positively or anything like that. And the character of Jim is, you know, he's a police officer in uh, middle America and that, you know, they're not getting the best rap out, out of the media at the moment. Um, how do you go about creating a character that, you know, maybe the audience is already offside, and yet you manage to make him a, a completely empathetic character and, and a relatable, understandable character. Yeah, I think it's all... That's a tough one. I don't know. Like, I, I get that question a lot. People <laughs> are like, we made a movie about an angry white Southern cop. And I was, well, kind of. I mean, the movie is really about this struggling dad and, like, the, the struggles of being a parent and losing a parent. And... 
it's like this weird human thing, and it's all through it's all through the performance. It's like from every character, everybody's so good, you, you kind of get sucked into performance. You can kind of do anything if the performances are good. Like people will watch anything so long as it's meaningful and the performances are good. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I thought about the political stuff and like you know having it be about the police and. I, I didn't want it to be, um, they call it propaganda, uh, where it's like something that makes the police look good, but it, that guy goes through hell, and it's mm. kind of like that's what the police do. That's like they, They're constantly stuck between the boring bullshit of life, and then they're jumping fences, and then they're back to the monotony, and then they also have to raise kids on the side. It's like a really grueling, um, yeah, kind of thankless job in many ways, especially now. Uh, but no, I don't know. I never, I never thought about that. And there's actually only been a couple of people afterwards who were like, "Well, you slap a, you slap your ex-wife at the end of the film." And it's like, "Well, no, I slap a corpse." And this is like a woman who's just ruined my daughter's life, basically. It's like I, I, I think, I think in America we tend to, especially now, look at films exclusively through a political lens. Whereas, like, I'm the most liberal dude on the planet, but like, I think that there's something really endearing about watching this guy say, "This this kiss is from me and Crystal, and this is from Crystal's future husband and my mom," and then he slaps her, and it's like, I, I think it's it's funny, and like most audiences, there's always like three or four people that laugh, and then everybody else gasps, but it's like I think you can get away with that. The dude's alone in a room with this mm. body, and. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've only encountered that, the, the political views, viewpoint from, about the movie, uh, minimally. The, the rest of people just see it as this either heartbreaking and moving movie or this, like, hysterical comedy. It's usually the kids that find it funny, and the older generation is like, that, that poor man. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, I found that, that moment amusing, but also you've, you've, you know, you've done the groundwork to get the audience to the point to understand why he would do that right. as well like you've you've right. made him you know people realize that you know through the things that he said and arguably as well like when he talks about i oh, i hope you get hit by a train and then he apologizes to her later on i'm sure that you know to me i get the feeling that he you know the following day he'd be like oh man can i go and apologize to her for doing that that's the impression that i got yeah. from because you you realize that, yeah, he's a flawed individual, but he's somebody who lives in the moment and then, you know, as we all do in, in a lot of ways, we say and do things that we kind of regret. And, yeah, I fully understand it. Every chance that we could. Yeah. Every chance that we could, we had that guy do that, of, like, say something that he, he wished he hadn't said out loud. And I, I think there's something, like, obviously relatable to that comedically for every audience. Like, that's kind of, like, a punchline almost to watch this guy struggle in the courtroom and then he's like no actually let me let's i'm just gonna hang out up here i thought we were having a good time like all of that kind of backtracking and face saving is so funny but it's also very relatable and like i i, yeah, I don't know i think i think that was important to have him say like i hope you get hit by a train and then it's it, it shows the cogs moving inside of his mind where he's like and i wanted to say i'm sorry about that it's like he understood immediately afterwards like ooh, that was not good parenting I yeah. should not have said that out loud. I shouldn't. And like, and that's, everybody gets that. It's like you get to see both sides of that character, and that's what makes this, uh, you know, a character in 360. That's like, that's what I love about Armando Iannucci's comedy, or you know, Alan Partridge, or um, Mike Judge, or Chris Lilly. It's like you, you get to have Jonah be a complete dickhead, but then he learns to read for the first time, and he thanks his teacher for teaching him how to read. And it's unbelievably heartbreaking. It's like, there's a kid who you've seen 
disrupt everybody's education around him for the last seven episodes, and then in the last episode, you get he gets expelled from school, and then he's he's at the parent teacher conference, and his dad said, "Can you give him one more chance? He has no mother." And it's you you completely forget that the mom's out of the picture for the previous seven episodes, and it's heartbreaking. And you are your allegiance to the character is now unified. It's like this is this is a problem in the public education system that is worth fighting for. And I it's unbelievable. I've never seen something like that before. That it's hilariously funny with many punchlines that makes you think. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I make movies. Yeah, well, it's good. I mean, it's. Like the, the the comedies nowadays, I think we're in a bit of a, a flux in, as to how comedies are presented. They all they all need to be the you know um, Seth Rogen kind of comedies, which I like. I do, but there's their outward comedies throughout the whole entire thing, and the amount of humanity is uh, not that much. And so you know, yeah. and that's what I like about what you've done here is that you know. You're pushing both areas. You're pushing both sides, the you know the drama and the comedy yeah, at the I same time. Fulfilling, like I yeah, I, I think there's this weird thing that's happening in film right now, and it's happened for the last thirty years, maybe maybe longer, but it's, uh, I've noticed it in the last thirty years of like comedies are either all comedies with no humanity or no drama, and then every drama has no comedy to it, and so it's like well, you're missing all of these opportunities to engage an audience or to, or to tell a full rounded story or to engage somebody in somebody's plight. And like, I don't know, I, I laugh at The Godfather a lot. There's really a bunch of really funny lines in that movie. And like, that's how it should be. It's like a roller coaster. You should be activating different lobes of the brain throughout, uh, throughout the 90 minutes. And yeah, I, I just see it as a thousand missed opportunities whenever I leave the cinema these days. Yeah. Is it, do you find that it's, it's, you know, there's a, the, a feeling of um, uh, test audience shaping films and, and test audiences shaping the, uh, you know, the, the sort of uh, material that's out in cinemas. Not specifically test audiences, but the whole studio system is like, well, you know, it's got to oh, hit the four totally, quadrants. Dude. Yeah? Totally. And not, and not even just that, like, you can't take risks. Like, a lot of these, just, like, if, if I had done it at a studio, I never would have been able to do any of the stuff that's good in the movie. I never would have been able to open the movie with a 13-minute long monologue or, or slap a corpse at the end of the film. Like, a lot of these multi-billion dollar corporations have to corporately virtue signal. And so they're like, they have stockholders, they want to take anything that's risky. And because of that, we have these tame, lame, watered-down movies that get marketed well, but they just kind of suck. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I think it's a really dangerous time for, for movie making on an industrial level, but that's what's so great about making movies independently now. You, you don't have to do any of that stuff. You get to show what real cursing looks like, you get to show what real sex looks like, and you get to show what real violence looks like, which is what humanity is, and that's what people relate to. So it's like, you're, you, like I'm going to be eating the studio's lunches when it comes to audience enjoyment, because that those kinds of movies, the A twenty four kind of movies, are cooler. You know. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know they they create more discussion sorry, and stuff Andrew, like that. Sorry, Andrew, yep. We've just got a we've just got a full minute wrap. No worries. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. It's all about drink. No, no, it's good. It's good. Like I, I was, uh, you know, really uh, grateful that I could actually have time to to talk to you about this film because it's again like it's. The film which I really like, and and I think that's the other thing as well is that comes back to the way that you're you're promoting this film this film as well is that you know you're being a lot more accessible to people in the sense that you know you're 
you're not only in America, but, you know, on social media and stuff like that. And I wonder for you, like that's uh, touching on something we talked about before, but it's like you're forging new ground in a lot of ways and, and being open to audiences and viewers in a lot more ways. Um, have you seen this rub off in, in, for, on other filmmakers as well in the, in, uh, that you've worked with or that you've seen in the, the area as well, like in filmmaking area? I, I, I have, and I really do hope it, it helps out. Um, I, I've seen all of my director friends say, okay, well, if Jim can do it, I'm going to make that movie that I've always been talking about. And I've seen that extended to Twitter and people reaching out and saying thank you, and it's wonderful. Um, but I was a nobody for a long, long time, and I know what that's like to not have anybody take you seriously and not to know what to do or not have the community of the team or friends to help you make something. And so my job after being coronated is to help send the ladder back down. And it's like, I yeah, the, it, this industry can be so exclusive and segregating. It, it, I, if I can be the antithesis of that and be the nice guy and have my own little corner of the sandbox to play in, I'll be happy. That's, that's a very fulfilling life. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it feels a bit like um, the path that, you know, in the early 90s and stuff like that, that Soderbergh and uh, Kevin Smith with Clerks yep. and stuff like that, that there feels like that kind of vibrancy coming through and it makes me very excited about seeing what independent American cinema is going to be doing over the next 10 years and seeing what voices come out as well. Me too. Yeah, I'm hoping for like a new kind of mumblecore experience or renaissance that's like, you know, shot on better cameras where it like actually is in competition with the quality of stuff that you see in cinemas. I think right now the technology is there where you can make a movie in your backyard with your best friends and have it compete. And I, I really hope that many people follow in, in the footsteps of Trey Schultz and, and me and many other people who are doing the same thing. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the things which I found really impressive is that you obviously have had your fingers in pies in certain different ways, like with Krisha, which is a fantastic film. It's a, you know, it's a, like that's a, that's a force to be reckoned with. It's, it, I remember watching that and just sitting there going, you know, that, that turkey sequence alone is one of the most high anxiety sequences in film in, ever. Yep. <laughs> yep. And she just drops a turkey. It's like there's no real stakes, but like the, the craftsmanship of the film is setting up so that that is the big, the highest stakes ever. And it shows audiences, particularly younger audiences, that you can shoot inside of an American kitchen. And if you're doing all the storytelling right, you can engage an audience in a way that many other people aren't engaged with. Mm. It's, it's unbelievable. I love that movie so much. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. Um, one of the things which I like to do uh, as kind of a wrap-up to when I interview directors and filmmakers is, obviously we've talked about a lot of different films and filmmakers that have inspired you, but... I'm curious for you if there's one particular film or films that you feel that more people should see that they maybe haven't heard of or that has inspired you in recent years. Uh, obviously, Krisha is there, but uh, what else as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Krisha was the first movie that got me off the couch to go and make the Thunder Road short film, so I always suggest that one. Um, I really love... I really love Children of Men, Alfonso Cuarón's film. I know it's a, it's a relatively popular film, but that was another one where I, I, I was just blown away by it, and it's craftsmanship. Um, I haven't seen many movies. I've been so busy. I can imagine. <laughs> I, hate, I hate to say it, I never get the time to, to watch much these days. Um, 
maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Um, but no, I, I think I think Preacher was the one where I was like, and I watched that once or twice a year, and it still it still holds up. So yeah, I, I hate to say that that one has to be my answer. Yeah, no, don't don't hate to say it. It is a great film, and it's a film as they're saying that more people need to see because uh, I think certainly from an Australian perspective, we're a bit. You know, we don't get Thanksgiving down here, so seeing that kind of um, the the daily preparation of it and stuff like that, and what goes on in a, a you know a household when Thanksgiving is on, is like yeah. it's eye opening in yeah. a lot of ways. And yeah, I, I applaud that film. I'm still stunned by it. It's it's fantastic. So you know, it, it's a great inspiration. <laughs> and and you're an inspiration as well. Like, I'm very excited as, you know, repeating myself, but I'm very excited to see what you've got coming out and after Thunder Road. And you've got a wealth of short films and things like that. Are they still available to view online for people to view as well? Yeah, so almost all of our short films are on my video channel and you can watch them for free. Fantastic. Well, that's a great place to start and everybody should go and watch Thunder Road as well. Thank you very much, Jim, for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been a treat, a real treat. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. So that was my interview with writer, director, actor Jim Cummings and his film Thunder Road. Again, please go and see this film. I love it. I'm certainly going to be talking about it at the end of the year. And his central performance is just stunning. Paired with great writing and great direction, wow! This is a this is a fantastic film. I absolutely love it. I, again, it's one of the best films I've seen of this year, and I'm really really grateful that I was able to have so much time with Jim to talk about his film. So yeah, go and see Thunder Road, please, people. Find out more about the stuff that we do as well over on the Curb, thecurb.com.au. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash thecurbau and twitter.com forward slash thecurbau. Hey, also head over to patreon.com forward slash thecurbau. Throw us a dollar or two. It helps the website keep on going. That's always nice. It's always pleasing to see. Um, and yeah, subscribe to the email as well while you're at it. There's an email that will pop up when you head over to the website, thecurb.com.au. And um, yeah. Join on in on the fun. Read our reviews, listen to our interviews and articles and things like that. Lots of good stuff coming along. Interviews coming up with uh, Gwilym Lee and Miranda Tapsell for Top End Wedding as well. That's very exciting. So keep tuned on the website and yeah, thank you very much for listening, guys. Go see Thunder Road. this podcast support it and sponsor today simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details